Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermon Podcast. Be sure to keep watching immediately after the sermon for Postscript, a weekly podcast with in-depth content and answers to your questions submitted during the sermon. You can also find it on iTunes or at faithbridge.org slash postscript. Well, howdy. howdy! Hey, it's great to be back at FaithBridge for a second week in a row. Again, my name is Timothy Atik. I'm the director of Breakaway and College Station. And uh, I want you to know, Breakaway starts Tuesday, August 29th, and so we need you praying for us. We expect to welcome eight to 10,000 students on that first Tuesday, and we've been praying for the 14,000 freshmen that are going to be entering A&M this fall. And uh, man, we hope to reach them, and God has given us just a unique privilege of helping thousands of students every Tuesday night take their next step with Jesus. And I want you to know that Faith Bridge has played a key role in that. And so I just want to say thank you to you guys for how you pray for us and how you support us financially, because we're able to do what we're doing in large part because you guys are doing what you're doing. So it's just a joy to get to be here with you this morning. I want to start by sharing a story of just an unfortunate decision that I made uh, when I was engaged to my wife, Catherine. We were with her family at her family lake house, and we decided to go out on the boat, and I decided that I was going to wakeboard, and I had been wakeboarding before. I had wakeboarded several, several times before. I wasn't very good at it, I, but I could get up and stay up, and I just figured this was going to be an incredible opportunity for me to show Kat just how lucky she was to be marrying <laughs> me. And so I just wanted to show her. I wanted to show her dad and her siblings that, man, they're lucky that I'm entering the family. <clears throat> and so I got out on the lake and I began to wakeboard and you know, I'm just pulling out all the stops. You know, I'm running water through my hair and just kind of flexing as I'm holding the rope and wasn't really much to show there. But anyway, I was doing my, doing my best. And for some reason I decided to try something that I had never tried before on a wakeboard. And if you're trying to impress people, that's really not the time to do that. You do that when you're by yourself with just a boat driver who understands it's going to be a long day. All right, that's when you try new things. But if you're a big wakeboarder, you're going to hear this and be like, number one, you're an idiot because you didn't do it right. And number two, that's really not hard to do. But for me, apparently, it's very difficult. Um, my plan was as I was riding, all I wanted to do was, as I was riding, I just wanted to jump and turn around. Very simple, just to flip my board around. Well, apparently I did it wrong. Because when I went to jump, I pushed down with all my weight, which means that my board went underwater. And I don't know if you understand science, but... Um, <laughs> When my board went underwater, it stopped moving forward, but my face didn't. <laughs> and it slammed on the water and knocked me out. And um, I came to <laughs> in the water, kind of wondering what I was doing in the water. And then uh, they pulled me into the boat, and I had a concussion. They took me back to the house, and there was a brief period of time where I forgot that I was engaged, and that didn't go over too well with my fiance or her mom who was sitting right there. But anyway, uh, that day, 
That day was a really important lesson in unnecessary pain. See, I don't know if you realize this, but there are different types of pain in this world. There's two primary types. There's unavoidable pain and there's unnecessary pain. Unavoidable pain, you can't do anything about it. It's coming for you and it's going to be there. All throughout life, you're going to experience unavoidable pain. That's just a part of living in this world. But then there's unnecessary pain, which means it's not necessary. (laughs) And it comes because you've done something that just wasn't necessary, making the pain unnecessary pain. See, that day, wakeboarding was a uh, very good lesson in, in unnecessary pain. All throughout life, there is going to be unavoidable pain, but there doesn't have to be a lot of unnecessary pain. Unfortunately, many of us walk through life and experience vast amount of unnecessary pain. I'll tell you this. What I want for us this morning is I want the good life. I want the good life for each of us. The good life, in my opinion, is a life where joy is maximized and unnecessary pain is minimized. That sounds like a good place to be. You can't do anything about the unavoidable pain that's coming, but if you can find a life where joy is maximized as much as possible and unnecessary pain is minimized as much as possible, then that might be a pretty great place to be. And I want to talk about it specifically in the context of family because the reality is there's a lot of unnecessary pain in this room in regard to your family. Every single one of us is a part of a family. Some of you are parents, some of you are children, some of you are parents and children at the same time. But we all are a part of a family in one way or another. Maybe it's a physical family, maybe it's a spiritual family, but we all understand in some way the idea of a family. And many of us experience unnecessary pain, especially in the area of family. And so my hope today is that we might take a step towards the good life. That we might talk about what it looks like to maximize joy and minimize unnecessary pain in the context of family. We're going to learn this morning from King Solomon, who was the smartest, wisest person to ever walk on this planet besides Jesus Christ. And King Solomon wrote a book, we were in it last week, talking about relationships. And today is kind of just part two. Last week was about uh, relationships in general. This week is specifically in regard to family. But I believe that King Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes to, in large part, maximize our joy and minimize unnecessary pain. That's kind of, if you want to understand the book of Ecclesiastes, look through it through that lens. But Ecclesiastes chapter 7 is going to be a great passage from which we are going to pull five key truths that you need to know if you want to maximize joy and minimize unnecessary pain within your family. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 if you need a Bible we've got people handing them out you can just slip up your hand and they'll they'll send one your way but Ecclesiastes chapter 7 what you need to know is the book of Ecclesiastes is a part of the 
the section of the Bible known as wisdom literature. So we have books like Psalms and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. These are wisdom literature books. Wisdom literature can jump around a lot. It can feel like you're scrolling through your Facebook feed or your Twitter feed. I tell college students, it's kind of like Ecclesiastes 7 is kind of like watching King Solomon's Insta story. And if you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. By the time you get caught up on it, it'll be out of style and we're on to the next thing. But the reason I tell you that is, is just so you know, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 jumps around to a bunch of different topics, which is going to allow us to hit on several different aspects of family life. And so I'm going to give you five key truths that are going to point you toward the good life. Here's the first one. The first key truth that you need to know if you want to maximize your joy and minimize unnecessary pain in your family is this. You need to consider your dash. Consider your dash. If you have something to write on, then what I want you to do is I want you to just simply write down your birth date. If you have your phone out, you can turn to the notes section, just type out your birth date. And then after you write your birth date, I want you to put a dash, and then I want you to guesstimate your expiration date. Okay, the average lifespan is about 78. Let's round up to 80, so just think. Take your birth date, fast forward 80 years, and put your expiration date. I want you to look at that dash in between your birth date and expiration date. That's where you're at right now. Right now, you are living somewhere in the midst of that one little dash. Here's just a fun thought to think about. Where do you think you're at on your dash right now? Maybe you think you're about fourth of the way through. Maybe you think you're halfway through. Maybe some of you are looking, saying, probably three-fourths of the way through. The reality is you don't get to choose how long the dash of your life is. You just get to choose how you live during your dash. The reality is some of you think that you're only halfway through your dash, and you're actually three-fourths of the way through your dash. Welcome to church. Jesus loves you. You might die soon. Aren't you glad you came to church today? (laughs) Solomon is going to tell us In Ecclesiastes 7, it's actually good for you to think about your dash. It's actually good for you to think about the fact that there is an expiration date on your life. And it could even come sooner than you want it to come. Look at what he says in Ecclesiastes 7, verses 2 through 4. He says, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of the fools is in the house of mirth. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying it's better to go to a funeral than it is to go to a party. It's better to go to a funeral than it is, you're going to learn more going to a funeral than you're going to learn going to the bars on Saturday night. If you think about it, if you go to the bars on Friday or Saturday night, you know what you're going to see? You're going to see a bunch of people living for the moment. You're going to see a bunch of people um, making instant gratification ultimate. It's about having your next drink now. It's about getting drunk now. It's about going home with someone now. And those people are living with one big assumption 
that the night is going to end well, there will be no consequences, and they're going to wake up to just another normal day. But you go to a funeral, and what do you see? You see people sobering up. You see people realizing, you know what? Nobody is promised tomorrow. Life is very fleeting and fragile and unpredictable. And my timeline, the dash of my life, could be a lot shorter than I think it is. So that's what death does, is it sobers us up. And Solomon is looking and saying, it's, it's good for you to take it to heart. That The word here that is, is heart, we see the word heart multiple times in those few verses, but it's actually referring to the mind or, or your understanding or your, what, you, what you spend time processing through. Solomon is saying, it's actually good for you to spend time processing through your dash because it will keep you living in a state of urgency. I want you to think about this. If you were to somehow find out when your dash was going to end, if you were to realize today that your dash was going to end in a week or in a month or in a year, is there anything that you would want to change in your family right now? Is there anything that you would want to say to someone in your family? Is there any brokenness that needs to be addressed? Is there anyone that you need to ask forgiveness from? Is there anyone you need to extend forgiveness to? Why wait? Why miss out? It's kind of like this. We moved from Waco to College Station a year ago. And so before we could sell our house in Waco, we had to get a bunch of stuff fixed. And as I was paying money to have this stuff fixed, I was like, why didn't we fix this stuff when we could have enjoyed it? <laughs> now we're just fixing all this stuff to leave. It's kind of the same thing. Why wait to fix stuff? Why wait until a moment where you're not even going to get to enjoy the reward that can come from healing. Consider your dash. If you want to maximize joy and minimize unnecessary pain. Here's the second key truth you need to know. If you want to take a step towards the good life, let God be God. Let God be God. Look at what Solomon says in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 7. He says, better is the end of a thing than its beginning. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry. He says, better is the end of a thing than the beginning. That word end in the Hebrew, it's, it's referring to the outcome of something. So he's saying, better is the outcome of something than the beginning. Why is that better? Because you know how things turn out. These are two verses about perspective, and we're going to apply them directly to parenting. Solomon is saying that perspective is very important because when you don't have the right perspective in life, it can breed two unhealthy attitudes. And he mentions two. He mentions pride and he mentions anger. When you don't have the right perspective in parenting, you need to know that you might land yourself in pride or anger. Let me just, let me give you perspective, especially for the parents in here today. I want to show you something I've shown you before, but it's the movie poster for 
uh, The Truman Show, which is a movie that came out in 1998 with Jim Carrey. Let me just show you the movie poster. From where you're sitting, it might look pixelated like we got a bad version, but this is actually a mosaic. So each of those little boxes, each of those little pixels is actually a scene from the movie. And so there's some scenes from the movie where everything is as it should be, and then there's some scenes where nothing is as it should be. There's some scenes that are full of joy and some scenes that are full of sorrow. But all of the scenes weave together beautifully and perfectly to form this mosaic. For the parents in the room, what you need to understand is that you must view your child's life like a mosaic. That your child's life is actually composed of thousands, if not millions, of different scenes. And God is the one who is weaving together the mosaic of your child's life. God sees the entire mosaic of your child's life all at once. And God sees how the mosaic of your child's life weaves together beautifully and perfectly in his will. You know what the problem is? The problem in parenting is that all we can see is the one small scene we're in right now. That's all we can see right now is the one little pixel that our kid is in right now. And it's very easy to buy into the lie that one bad box, one bad pixel, one bad scene can ruin the entire mosaic of our children's life. And so what do we tend to do? We tend to try and control our children. See, this is where pride comes in because we believe that we know best. And so we end up actually trying to play God in our kids' lives. We want to protect them. We want to make sure that they don't make this bad choice. We, want, we need to make sure that they get into this school. We need to make sure that their work is, we end up doing their homework for them so that they don't fail. We, we need to make sure that everything in our kids' lives are perfect because heaven forbid one small scene could ruin the entire mosaic. And so we become professional control freaks as parents. You need to control what your kid's hair looks like and what clothes they wear and how they perform on the sports field even though they're only four and they don't even understand the game. <laughs> you need to control what classes they take and where they apply to college and what they major in in college and how long they take to get out of college and what job they take after college and where they live after college. and what their place looks like that they live in after college and who they marry, when they get married, what their wedding looks like, how long they wait to have kids, and when they do have kids, how they dress their kids, feed their kids, discipline their kids. Some of y'all are like, check, check, I'm doing it all right. No, you're not. <laughs> there is a huge difference between controlling your kids and loving your kids. I'll just tell you one thing that I am struggling with controlling with my kids. I am really struggling with needing to control when my kids get it spiritually. That's been a huge struggle for me with my kids as we were at a, we were at a Christian family camp this week. 
and my kids during family devotionals are just all over the place. I'm like, I'm a pastor. Like, I need you to get this. I'm supposed to be good at getting people to get it. You know what happens when you can't control your kid's life? Anger. That's why Solomon points out pride and anger. See, we try and be God. That's where the pride comes in. We try and be God by controlling things. And then when we realize that we can't control things, we get angry. Because God is reminding us that there is only one God and we are not him. You know what the point of parenting is? The point of parenting is to point your kids toward knowing Jesus, enjoying Jesus, and displaying Jesus. And so there's going to be times where you need to discipline your kids. And there's going to be times where you're going to need to make decisions on behalf of your kids because they're not prepared or equipped to make those decisions on their own. But then there's going to be times in parenting where you're going to have to trust that God knows more than you do. And he's the one who sees the entire mosaic of your kid's life all at once. You know what, you know what the biggest struggle is for me? The biggest struggle for me is that God might actually choose. God might have already decided that the tough scenes in my kid's lives are necessary to make the mosaic that much more beautiful. And I struggle with that. God is God. And so we have to let him be God if we want to maximize joy and minimize unnecessary pain in the context of our family. Let me give you the third key truth because this is just too convicting, so let's just move on, all right? Third key truth you need to know if you want to step into the good life in your family is this, seek wisdom. Look at what Solomon says in verses 11 and 12. He says this. He says, wisdom is good with an inheritance and advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Do you see what he's saying? Solomon is comparing wisdom and money. And Solomon rarely talks about money in a positive way, but here he does. He, he's basically saying, you know what? Money can get you out of a bind. Like if you're struggling financially and someone gives you a sum of cash as a gift, man, that can be really helpful. And that can get you out of a bind. But wisdom is even better than money because according to Solomon, wisdom can save your life. And so we need wisdom when it comes to family. We especially need wisdom when it comes to parenting. For the parents in here, let me just give you my definition of parenting. And you need to know I'm only eight years into it. And so this could change over time. But at least in my eight years, almost eight years of parenting, this is what I believe sums up parenting. Parenting is a continuous string of crises where you have no clue what you're doing. <laughs> That's parenting. If you want to know what parenting is, it's a continuous string of crises where you have no clue what you're doing. 
And it started back in the hospital, right? You just think about when you had your first child, not your second, third, or fourth, your first one. And uh, the hospital only lets you stay for 48 hours. I position it that way because we would have stayed longer if we could have. (laughs) But you get 48 hours into being a parent and like they're ready to let you go home and you're like, are you sure you, you think that we deserve to leave? <laughs> like, where's your checklist of qualifications? You haven't even, you really think we can walk out of here? I remember getting home with Noah and uh, my wife and mother-in-law were going to go to the store and so it's just me with Noah and I was like, dude, you, you're going to need to hold it together for two hours. <laughs> All right? Because if you lose it, I got nothing. All right? Man, that's parenting. (laughs) No clue what we're doing. I mean, we experienced this with potty training. We experienced this the first time our son, one of our kids, got bullied at school. We experienced this the first time one of our kids, when we had to go to the school and meet with the principal. I mean, it's just this series of crises where you have no clue what you're doing. No one can hand me an instruction manual with my kid's name on it. Like you can go to parenting conferences and I can stand up here and give you some general principles, but the bottom line is I don't know your specific situation. Everyone's situation is unique. You know who gives the best advice in this world? Young people who don't have kids yet. And by best advice, I mean the worst. They, they, it's crazy. I look back when I was, had no kids as a youth pastor counseling these parents. If you're out there, I'm sorry. <laughs> I love young people with no kids. They're, they look at you and judge you. And they're like, you know, when I have kids, my kid's not going to be like that. We're just going to throw them in a backpack and go all over Europe. It's like, okay, sweet child, let's talk in five years and see how that's going for you. Okay. Everyone's different. We all need help. You know what Solomon says? Seek wisdom. Seek wisdom. Yeah, there's no instruction manual. But you know what you can do is you can, you can find some godly men or women that are a couple life stages ahead of you. And you can just ask for wisdom. That's something that I've found to be very helpful as I try and raise my boys in a way that honors the Lord, is that I've got um, one man in particular in College Station who's, who's a couple life stages ahead that I'll just, I'll call him or I'll go and meet with him and I'll just say, man, here's what I'm going through with my boys. I'm not sure what this should look like. How did you handle it? And man, it is so helpful and refreshing for him to just say, here's what it looked like for us. Here's what I encourage you to do because it can provide perspective. Do you have anyone like that in your life? If you're not a parent and you're young, if you're single, are you meeting with any married people just saying, man, I want to be the best spouse that I can be whenever that time comes for me. What does this look like? Where are the trigger points for you? I want to work through it now. 
If your kids are teenagers and you're getting closer to being an empty nester, are you talking to people now saying, what's it like when there's no more kids in the house? I want to prepare my heart for this. I want to prepare my marriage for this. Or if your kids are are married, are you talking to people a little further down the road saying, what does it look like to be a good in-law? How much is too much, okay? What does it look like to be a good grandparent? Seek wisdom. You know what the issue is? One of the greatest issues is that as age increases, teachability decreases. And there's something wrong with that. And the reason that I say that there's something wrong with that, and I don't say this to heap any more pressure on you than you already have, because we live in a world that just pushes us down with more and more weight and mom guilt and dad guilt is a thing too. Like there is enough to feel guilty about as a parent. But I tell you that remaining teachable is key because there's always something that you could do to be a better parent. There's always another step that you could take towards being a healthier parent. And so if you ever get to a point where you're like, you know what, we are just crushing this thing. Just wait. I mean, (laughs) wait five minutes. (laughs) Remain teachable. Seek wisdom. Listen to the words of Proverbs chapter 9, verses 10 and 11. It says this. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. Do you hear? You can hear that maximized joy in these verses. And, and where these two verses start is this. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you want wisdom, do you realize that the God of the universe has limitless amounts of wisdom? Like there are no boundaries to his wisdom and he actually enjoys unleashing his wisdom into our lives. If we really believe that, don't you think that we'd be on our knees more as parents? You know what this means? It means the best thing that you can do for your family is walk with Jesus Christ. If you're a parent, I want you to hear me. The hands down, without a doubt, by far, the best thing that you can do for your kids is walk with Jesus Christ. I'm not just saying go to church, I'm saying walk with Jesus Christ. Best thing that you can do as a kid for your family is walk with Jesus Christ. The best thing that you can do as a single person for your future family is walk with Jesus Christ. Seek wisdom. Fourth key truth that you need to know if you want to maximize joy and minimize unnecessary pain in your family is this. You need to get good at asking for and extending forgiveness. Listen to what Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 20 says. It says this, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do you know what this means? It means there are no perfect parents. It also means there are no perfect kids. So parents, you're going to do things that will hurt your kids. Save up for their counseling from now. (laughs) Kids, you will do things that will hurt your parents. There will absolutely be a plethora of opportunities in which you will need to ask for forgiveness or extend 
forgiveness. We are all sinners. So we better get good at these things. So let's just practice right now before you even leave. Let's just out loud. We're all going to say it together. Let's just practice what we are to say. So let's just say it out loud. Say, I'm sorry. Okay? Say, will you forgive me? Say, I forgive you. Okay, very good. Some of y'all didn't participate. All right, that's okay. <laughs> hey, let me ask you this really honest, serious question. If you're sitting with someone from your family, is that the first time that they've heard you say those words in a long time? Is that the first time they've heard those words from you ever? Because I'll tell you this, you want to know where unnecessary pain flourishes? Unnecessary pain flourishes in a family where someone is always right and never wrong. Unnecessary pain flourishes in a family where someone always defends what they do. Unnecessary pain always flourishes where someone refuses to humble themselves and ask for forgiveness. I'll tell you this, there are no perfect parents. And so, good parenting isn't showing your kid how to be a perfect parent, because you're not a perfect parent. So good parenting is actually showing your kids how to respond to your imperfection. Does that make sense? If you want to instill anything in your kids, instill in them what it looks like to ask for and extend forgiveness. Your kids should be well acquainted with you saying you're sorry. It's one of the best things you can model for them. You don't want your kids growing up just stuffing it. You don't want your kids growing up just giving their spouse the silent treatment for two or three days. You want your kids growing up learning how to say they're sorry. You will need to get good at asking for and extending forgiveness. The reality is, forgiveness truly begins to make sense when we realize our deep need for forgiveness. Forgiveness becomes a natural part of our family culture when we realize our deep need for forgiveness. I'll just illustrate it this way. And I might have shared this with you before, but I've got two boys, Noah's seven, about to be eight, Andrew's five, about to be six. When Noah was two, he started going off to preschool, and Noah would bring home, right around the age of two, he started bringing home artwork. And uh, when he was two, there were times where his artwork would basically consist of like one white piece of paper with a purple crown line drizzled across it. And this is going to make me sound like a really bad dad, but there was nothing praiseworthy about that artwork. <laughs> I'm sorry, there wasn't. There was nothing in me that when I saw that, I was like, oh my gosh, cat, look at this. This is press, short for precious. Tape it on the fridge. This is my inspiration. I want to see this every day and be like, man, we are, we are raising this artistic prodigy, like God has gifted us with Noah, you are amazing in this artwork. No, there was nothing 
worthy of celebration about this artwork. But then there were other days where Noah would bring home this artwork that had like cotton balls and glitter and his name written in cursive. And uh, it was really clear Noah had not done this artwork. <laughs> he hadn't. This artwork had been done on his behalf by his teacher. And Noah would walk in, he would show it to us, and he would be so excited about it, and we would celebrate it and be like, man, this is incredible. This is so cool. You know why I tell you that? The reason I tell you this is because if you were to take all of your best days, all of your best moments as a single person, all of your best moments as a parent, all of your best moments as a spouse, and you were to hand God the highlight reel of your life, in the eyes of a perfect God, your highlight reel would be nothing more than a white piece of paper with a purple crown line drizzled across it before a perfect God. Because of our sin, we are desperately in need of a perfect God looking at us and saying, you are forgiven. And that is only possible because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. See, the only work worthy of celebration is the work that Jesus Christ has accomplished for us when he stepped out of heaven, came to earth, endured the wrath of God on our behalf on the cross, and then was put in the tomb and on the third day walked out of it. That is the only work worthy of celebration. And the good news is that when you open up your life and you invite Christ into it, when you get past the point of saying, I know about Jesus, and you start saying, Jesus, I want to know you, not just know about you. I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. You know what happens? Jesus' work begins to count as your work, just as that teacher's artwork counted as my son's artwork. And when God sees you, he sees the perfect work of his son and he pours out his love, acceptance, approval, favor, and forgiveness. See, we all desperately need the forgiveness of God. And if you've never come to a place where you have opened up your life and given your life to Jesus so that you could experience forgiveness from the God of the universe, let me tell you, you got to dive a lot deeper than just coming to church and trying to be a good person. This is about dealing with the depravity of your soul in realizing that your life is broken because your relationship with God is broken, but Jesus has come to bring healing and forgiveness to you. Forgiven people forgive people. And when you experience the forgiveness of God in your life, it only makes sense to then begin expressing and extending that forgiveness to the people around you, especially to the people closest to you, which is your family. You want to maximize joy and un minimize unnecessary pain in your family, then get good at asking for and extending forgiveness. The fifth key truth, the fifth and last key truth that I want you to know if you want to really lean into the good life in your family is this. And it's a cliche, but I think it's appropriate. Families that pray together stay together. 
That's true. Families that pray together stay together. It's hard to remain mad at someone when when you are sitting close to them, talking to God with them. Something changes. And so what does it look like for us to value prayer in our families? This is something that we are still on the front end of figuring it out. But we want prayer to be a value in our family. And so we're definitely not perfect at it. We got a lot of room to grow, but this is something even more. I just told my boys yesterday that that we are going to value prayer more in our family. And I would encourage you to do to do the same. Because prayer has a way of causing bitterness and anger to, to crumble, and it causes intimacy to ignite. I just want to give us an opportunity to apply what I'm talking about. And so I'm going to invite the band to come out, and the band is going to lead us in another song. And what, as they lead, what I want to just invite us to do is I want to invite us to pray together. So if you're here with some people in your family, then, then I want you to know that you have the freedom to kind of circle up or move to a corner or just turn in towards each other. And I want to invite you all to pray together. And if this is the first time that you've ever prayed as a family and you don't know who should start, well, let's just say today, dads, why don't you take the lead on that? And y'all pray together. If, if you don't have kids, y'all are a married couple, y'all turn in and pray together. If you're here by yourself, you know what? I want to encourage you as we worship to be praying for your family who's not here. Or if you want to get with some people from your spiritual family and y'all want to turn in and pray together, you can do that as well. But we're going to respond this morning. We're not going to move ahead mentally to, to lunch. We're going to, we're going to sit right here and we're going to let God do business in our lives because we want the good life. A life where joy is maximized and unnecessary pain is minimized. So if you will, stand with me. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to continue in worship. Lord Jesus, I thank you for who you are and I thank you for how much you love us, Lord. And I thank you that you've given us your word which points us toward the good life, Lord. And we are people who really do want to experience maximum joy and minimized unnecessary pain in our lives. So Lord, help us today to consider our dash. That if our lives were to end tomorrow, is there anything that we would want to say? Is there anything we would want to change in our families? Lord, help us to consider our dash, Lord. For the parents in the room, Lord, help us to let you be you. There is only one God. And we aren't you. And so we trust you, God. We relinquish, we lay down our pride, we humble ourselves and say we are lousy gods. And we relinquish our anger anger as well that comes when we can't control things, knowing that you, Jesus, hold all things together. Lord, help us to seek wisdom. Would you put godly men or women in our paths? Lord, give us teachable spirits. Would you put people in our lives who can just speak words of wisdom that actually breathe life into our families? Lord, we need it. Help us to get a lot better than we are at asking for and extending forgiveness, Lord. Even in this room, if there is 
pent up anger, bitterness, Lord, would you just, would you break it in this moment and bring healing, Lord? And God, teach us to pray. Teach us to be intentional. Teach us to pray, Lord. We just give this time to you now. We sing to you now. We join together as families and we pray to you now. We hope and pray that you just be honored by this time where we press in together. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to Postscript. Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at FaithBridge by talking with the teacher of the day. Hello, welcome to Postscript. My name is Adam McIntyre, and I am joined today by Timothy Atik, who just preached a sermon on how we can maximize joy within our family, within our relationships with our family. Timothy, thank you so much for joining us today. You bet. Always great to be at Faith Bridge. Yeah, really enjoyed your sermon today, and you had a lot of uh, just really good, applicable points for how we can maximize joy yeah. within our family. Do you mind just running through those points again for us real quick? Yeah, you bet. So point one was just consider your dash, the dash that's right. in between your birth date and expiration date yeah. that you don't have any control over how long it is, just how you live it. Right. So um, consider your dash. Point two was let God be God. Mm. And that's really dealing with relinquishing control yeah. over your kids. Point three was seek wisdom. Yeah that, you know, as age increases, teachability often decreases, and that just shouldn't be the case. We need people a few stages down the road to speak into our lives. Um, Point four was get really good at asking for uh, uh, forgiveness Mm -hmm. and extending for asking for and extending forgiveness. And then point five was families who pray together stay together. That's right. Yeah. Thanks for running through that. Yeah, you bet. So uh, one of the points that uh, really uh, spoke to me was talking about parents who uh, they, they want to have control over their kids. They want to make sure their kids have the best life possible. They want to make sure their kids know Jesus and are following Jesus, have submitted lives to Jesus. But you mentioned in your sermon, that's just not, uh, you can't do that. That's yeah. not a, a real thing. Um, and yeah. so could you speak more um, to the parents who might feel that burden, like, man, they just really want their kids to follow a certain path in life to know Jesus, but yeah. they feel like they're they're failing and they're just not doing it well. Could you speak more to that? Well, I think it's even a bigger picture than just the spiritual aspect of life. You, you know, something for me as a dad with my two boys, I personally, I put a lot of pressure on myself just as a dad that mm-hmm. I want my kids to know the Lord But not just that. I want them to be respectable human beings. I want them to be men of character and integrity and purity, all these things that I pray for them and try and parent in them. And, uh, you know, I have all of these moments, these daily moments with my kids where it feels like there's little to no progress in those specific areas of their lives. And And when I'm looking for massive amounts of progress every day, there's a lot of room for disappointment. Sure. And, um, you know, because I put a lot of pressure on myself, it's a lot of, there's there's a great 
chance that I'm going to put a lot of pressure on, on my kids that they really right. shouldn't have to shoulder. Right. And that's when I'm parenting out of fear. Mm. Any pressure you feel is often because you, you're dealing with fear. I right. have fear that my kid won't be a Christian. I have mm. fear that he won't be a man of character and integrity. But you have to remember that these are just moments, daily moments in their lives. And you're running a marathon right. with your kids. And I look back on things that I made such a big deal about with my boys when they were three and four. And I look back now and I'm like, oh my gosh, I thought that those were like make or break moments right. with yeah. my kids. And now I look back and I'm like, it really was not that big of a deal. Right. Now, I'm not trying to say the spiritual aspect of your kid's life isn't a big deal, but what I am saying is, like I was just at a family camp with my kids and I shared it on stage, but we had family devotionals every morning. And I think we had maybe one or two out of five or six good ones. Yeah. And it's so easy for me to get frustrated in the moment. Mm. Like, I need you to get this now because if you don't get this now, what does that mean about you now? Yeah, what does yeah. that mean about your future? And it doesn't mean anything about their future. Sure. It doesn't mean anything about their present. Right. It means that we're on a journey with my boys and, and I have to be okay with the rough edges of my kids that are mm. going to be there for decades. Sure. And God's going to use me to refine those things. And God, God's going to use a lot of other things besides me to refine those. Right. And I have to be okay with that. The, you know, just as our kids are going to have physical awkward stages, like yeah. middle school, yeah. like there are going to be the, the spiritually awkward stages of life right. where you love your kids through them. Yeah. And you take them on mission trips and they don't get anything out of it. And you be okay with that, yeah. knowing that you're, you're, planting, you're working the soil right. and praying like crazy, trusting that, you know, there might be a day five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, where God is going to cause the growth. And right. you just have to be okay with that. Absolutely. Well, it's so helpful. Even myself, I have a five month old daughter and I'm wondering like what mistakes am I making right now yeah. that are going <laughs> to cause irre irrevocable damage in the future, yeah. you know? And, and so to know, like relinquish that control, yeah. try to get a bigger picture of what's going on. That's right. Uh, it's helpful. And you mentioned too in your sermon how really the most important thing we can do is model what it looks like to yeah. follow after Christ and not try I to indoctrinate our children. I all the time and right? I, I love just being able to, I've got to go home and apologize to one of them this <laughs> afternoon. He yeah. wasn't awake when I, but uh, I was just too hard on him. And um, and it's it's good for them to see that. Right. If, if my kids grow up saying my dad knew how to ask for forgiveness, mm. that's a big win. That's huge. Yeah, so, absolutely. Anyway. And, and so speaking of forgiveness, um, I think another one of the key parts of your sermon that uh, is difficult to do in real life um, is forgive, especially within mm -hmm. the family. Uh, I know there's a lot of people who um, family members have done things to them that have caused deep hurts, deep scars, and it's really hard to forgive um, and, uh, and, and to move on in a relationship. Yeah. And, but you talked about the importance of forgiveness. And so I, w I was wondering if you could elaborate a little bit more on practically, what does that look like? How yeah. do you forgive someone who's hurt yeah. you deeply and yeah. you pass that? Absolutely. Well, I think my hope, if anything, is when I talked about forgiveness, my hope is that there would be people in the crowd that when I talked about it, it elicited something inside of them that said, I need to do something. Right. 
And so that is a good thing. You just need to figure out what step you need to take to move forward. For some, it's it's as simple. The step is there's not a long 10-step process you need to go through. It's really just a you need to pick up the phone and you need to call and right. ask for forgiveness. And you're going to know if that's you. That's going to be clear to you. Like, I need to pick up the phone, call my kid, or I need to call my parent. I just need to say sorry for this. For others, the pain is really deep. Right. And there might need to be several steps hmm. that you go through before you get to that that's point. Right. You might need to go see a counselor. Counseling is for everybody. I've been Absolutely. to counseling. Absolutely. I wouldn't hesitate to go back. That's right. Um, you know, it might be that you need to start journaling your thoughts and emotions just so that they're actually getting out from inside of you, just right. to acknowledge that there is pain there and oh. to start working through that. But, you know, the best thing you can do is invite trusted people in mm. to the situation that you can start processing through it with them so that they can point you in the right direction. Ultimately, the thing with forgiveness is, and what I've learned personally in my life is forgiveness is rarely if ever a feeling. Like if you ever wait till you feel like you're ready to forgive the person, you probably won't ever forgive them. Right. Feeling is, or forgiveness is usually a choice you make despite how you feel. Right. Um, And so just knowing that you don't have to make that choice today. Right. You might need to go see a counselor. You might need to start opening up some friends. You might need to start journaling. But at some point, you're going to reach a day where you're going to have to say, okay, I need to choose to forgive. Right. And that's, so if anything today, the goal is just to say, let's get a vision for that day. Right. And now take a step. Right. If you don't know what that step is, then Go to counseling. Absolutely. Either professional or contact the church. That might be a great first step. Contact the church, sit down with one of the pastors here, and just start there. Yeah. But don't sit on this. Right. Don't sweep it under the rug because time does not heal all wounds. That's right. Time makes wounds grow deeper. That's right. It really does. Yeah. They will have to be dealt with. So take a step. That's huge. And, and I like that you mentioned that it's not about feeling like I need yeah. to forgive this person, but really it's more of an act of obedience. That's right. Like a lot of our faith journey, yeah. uh, regardless of how we feel in the moment, we know I need to forgive this yeah. person. And then also you mentioned, you mentioned this in your sermon too, the importance of community uh-huh. because each situation oh is different. Yeah. There's not like a ABC step to That's right. forgiving someone. So having people who are older, who are wiser, who yep. have been through this themselves, that's right. that can counsel you, that's huge. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, you Timothy, bet. for being here. It's always yeah. a blessing when you're here, really. Uh, and thank you all so much for tuning in. We'll see you all next week. Thanks for joining us for PostScript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org postscript.